0: I'm Dr. Laura Greenfield, and I am passionate about all things teaching, facilitating, social change-making, and helping you to create equitable, engaging, and transformative classroom experiences. I left a distinguished career as a professor of communication and education to launch an online business where I help you learn best practices in classroom facilitation, practices it has taken me decades of study and experience to cultivate. I started the Let's Talk Facilitation podcast to offer you straightforward and practical solutions to everyday challenges in the college classroom, to turn your stress and overwhelm into confidence and excitement. If you are a current or aspiring college educator who's looking to build a teaching career that you love and that changes students' lives, you've come to the right place. Welcome. Everybody, Thanks for joining me today. I'm going to be talking about and offering guidance around the number one concern I am hearing from college educators across the US, which is that students seem less engaged than ever before. So many more students than usual aren't even showing up to class. So many more students than usual aren't getting their work done. So many more students than usual aren't participating in class discussion and activities. Student engagement appears to be at an historic low and educators feel stuck. Sound familiar? This is super tough because it's not like educators have any extra capacity to engage either. So many of you are burnt out from the pandemic and from the increasing demands in your time at your institutions. Adding a whole list of extra activities to try to fix the problem of low student engagement on top of the overwhelming amount of work already on your plate, just doesn't sound realistic. So, to actually make the most of the opportunities available to engage your students right now, I'm going to offer a two-part approach. The first part involves making sure you are already, as a foundation, using best practices in engaging your students. These are the practices you would be using to make sure students are participating in your class discussions and activities in so-called normal times. If you'd like some help getting familiar with some of these best practices, I'm going to encourage you to check out Episode 1, which is called Three Mistakes Facilitators Make to Get Students to Talk and What to Do Instead, as well as episode 15, which is called Why Some Students Are Hesitant to Share Their Ideas in Class and How You Can Support Them to Speak Up. I also encourage you to download my free PDF titled 10 Powerful Tools to Get Your Students Excited to Talk in Class. You can find that PDF by visiting the link in the show notes or going to lauragreenfield.com forward slash talk. So that first step to getting your students engaged is to be sure you're using foundational best practices in inspiring students to talk. The second step to getting your students engaged during the pandemic is going to be the focus of this episode. And this step is significantly more simple, but a hundred times more important. I believe there is, in fact, one single factor to student engagement that is more significant than any other. If you're not paying attention to this one factor and purposefully working with it, your chances of meaningfully engaging your students are slim to none. By way of introducing what this factor is, and how to go about putting it into practice, I want to share with you a few short stories. These are stories from two very different times in my teaching career. The first was very early on in my teaching, when I had not yet fully developed an appreciation for the importance of this factor. And the second is from years later, when I had developed this factor as a cornerstone of my pedagogy. As you listen to the two stories and compare their differences, see if you can guess what that factor is. So the first story was when I was a graduate student and I had the good fortune to be able to teach some courses while I was doing my own studies to get some experience as I was preparing to be a professor. The school where I taught, George Washington University, was in downtown Washington, D.C., and the school was spread out across the city. So the building where my office was located was quite a few blocks away from the building where the course I was teaching was located. Now, I took my new role as teacher very seriously. I paid close attention to the time and always made sure to leave enough time to make my way all the way across town to get to the building in time to teach. Now one day I was working in my office and I got really absorbed in whatever I was doing and I lost track of time and when I looked at the clock I realized class was starting in about two minutes and it definitely was a longer than a two minute walk to get to the building and I was wearing high heeled shoes. So I quickly grabbed my bag, rushed out of the building and made my way as quickly as I could in those heels all the way across town and to the building where I was prepared to teach. Now, when I got there, I was less than 10 minutes late and I felt bad, but I thought, you know, I hadn't I hadn't missed too much. But the students when I walked in seemed somewhat disappointed to see me and let me know that they had already consulted with one another as a group and had decided that if I did not arrive 10 minutes after the start of class time, then they were all going to leave. So boy, they really did not cut me a whole lot of slack. They were ready to get out of there without a whole lot of wiggle room. So that's story one. Keep that in mind as I share a contrasting story, story two, which happened about 15 years later when I was now a professor at a college and had developed um, a more purposeful pedagogy. And at this time, I was teaching at Hampshire College, which is a small private liberal arts college in Western Massachusetts. And this school had gone through a very controversial experience on campus at the end of the spring that year. And the experience was so controversial and so upsetting that the school in fact canceled the last several days of classes so that the campus community could really gather itself, process what had happened, um, deal with some of the trauma that had come out of this particular incident. So my class, like all the other classes on campus, was now canceled um, abruptly. So what I chose to do is to reach out to my students Um, by email and let them all know, hey listen, um, this class is canceled just like all the others on campus. However, I am planning to just sit in the classroom during our scheduled meeting times for the remaining few um, periods that were originally on the books just so that if anybody wants to come in and feels that they need either a sense of normalcy by coming in or have questions or need a space to sort of process what's been going on on campus i'll just be there for if you need me you don't get credit from coming it's not, you're not penalized for not coming it's just there as an option and wouldn't you know at least half of the students came to the classroom On that scheduled class period voluntarily. Now if we look at these two stories you can see a a striking difference between the two student populations. One was going to give me a 10-minute grace period and then they were out of there for a class that was for all intents and purposes still required, whereas the other group was not required to come to class and yet a good portion of them came anyways when they didn't need to. So in listening to these stories, I'm wondering, can you guess what a key difference was between my approaches as an educator in those two classes? Well, I imagine there are probably a lot of differences across 15 years of my own learning. However, there is one key factor that I know is critical and that I suspect played the biggest part in the difference between the two and that is my attention to belonging belonging in my classroom. Now to me belonging means a number of things, it means when you can be your authentic self in relationship with others. It means that a space or an experience was made for you. You're not an afterthought. You're not an outsider who's been temporarily welcomed. You're an insider. And you are, in fact, a co-creator of the space or the experience. So in many ways, the space wasn't created for you. It was created with you. Belonging to me also means that you're respected, you're valued, you're celebrated for who you are. And what that feels like is feeling seen, feeling heard, and feeling cared for, and knowing that your well being is a priority in this community. Belonging itself is created by a number of intentional practices. So, the importance of relationships and being in community, and therefore having a sense of belonging in students learning process is absolutely vital there is a strong connection between students experience of belonging and students engagement in your classes and my hope is that by the end of this episode you will appreciate if you haven't before or appreciate even more deeply if you already come to the table with this value you'll appreciate how approaches to facilitation can either perpetuate or disrupt injustices and inequities in students learning experiences. So as a facilitator, your role is not to be just someone who conveys content or poses questions or guides discussions, but rather our relationship with our students is a non negotiable foundation particularly if you want a class that is genuinely engaged. Now, many of us recognize this intuitively. It's why we love teaching, but not everyone realizes or feels affirmed in making a priority of belonging a foundational tool of your pedagogy. So I wanna talk a little bit about how we make belonging foundational in our pedagogy. First, we do so by prioritizing relationship building or community building with and among the students in your class. This means you have to approach community building efforts as primary, as non-negotiable, as non-expendable. You're pressed for time. This doesn't get scrapped. So. You're not saying, I'm in the classroom, for example, to teach introductory concepts in macroeconomics, and I also work on trying to build community while I'm there. But rather, you say, I am in the classroom to create a sense of community and belonging through which I teach introductory concepts in macroeconomics. So that prioritizing relationship building is absolutely central. The second way we make belonging foundational in our pedagogy is that we understand our students to be co-creators in that process so as i mentioned before it is creating community with them not for them so it's not just about being nice or kind to your students but it's about what you actually put into practice with them so the classroom experience you cultivate is a collaborative one it's where each of your students and those with historically marginalized identities in particular play a vital role a leadership role even in crafting that experience now if you'd like to dig a little deeper to learn more about what that means and how exactly to do that in practice you can check out episodes seven and eight which are a two part series on how to make discussions inclusive for real, where I provide an explanation of what I call radical inclusion. And I walk you through three foundational strategies for taking concrete action. So check those out. If you'd like some more ideas about how to collaboratively co-create an experience where students feel like they belong. Now, finally, Another key way that we make belonging foundational in our pedagogy is that we build community building throughout everything we do in our class. So community building gets interwoven into the fabric of the class. So this is not a one and done activity. It's not something you do once on week seven. It's not something you squeeze in when you've got some spare time, or it's not even the way that you kick off the semester, but then drop it once the course agenda gets too full throughout the term. Instead, community building is a lens through which you approach all of your teaching activities. So it's not an add-on, but it's a philosophy that informs how you organize each class, what activities you choose, what you expect of your students, and how you communicate with them. Now, are you excited to dive in and try out some specific approaches? Great. Hang tight because a game plan is headed your way. Next week's episode is all about growing your toolkit of community building strategies. I'm going to cover five concrete strategies anyone can develop, regardless of your subject area, experience, or class size. So keep on the lookout next week on my podcast but for now, I want to make sure I've been as clear as possible about the significance of prioritizing belonging through relationship building and community building in your teaching. This episode is about dealing with lower than usual student engagement. So what does prioritizing belonging have to do with student engagement? When students are burnt out, And making choices about where to expend what little remaining energy they have on their schoolwork, they are going to choose to make the effort to engage in the spaces where they feel a sense of belonging, where they experience meaningful relationships with others, where they are a part of a purposeful community. They're not likely going to choose the class where the teacher doesn't know their name, where they've never said so much as hello to their classmates, where their interaction with the course material is merely transactional and doesn't feel personally relevant. They're not going to expend energy in a space where their presence or absence doesn't appear to make much of a difference. So, if you are experiencing low student engagement in your classes, Avoid the temptation to compel them to participate by lecturing them about the importance of attendance, or threatening them with a low participation grade, or even complaining to your colleagues that your students just don't take anything seriously. Instead, honor your students as the whole people they are. Develop curiosity about what they're going through, Demonstrate empathy by listening to them and affirming their challenges, and put your relationships with them front and center so that your class is not only where they want to be, but where they feel supported in taking the risk to vulnerably share their energy with you, despite all of the struggles they are navigating in their lives and in the world beyond your class. It's really quite simple, actually. Like every aspect of my own teaching philosophy, it all boils down to love. Love your students. What does love look like in action in your classroom? That's the end of today's episode. Now don't forget to check out episodes 1, 7, 8, and 15 to dig deeper into some of the topics covered today. And visit lauragreenfield.com forward slash talk for your copy of the free PDF, 10 Powerful Tools to Get Your Students Excited to Talk in Class. And finally, be sure to tune in next week when I share with you a ton of effective, concrete strategies to put your community-building commitments into action. Now, do you have a colleague or friend who's struggling with student engagement in their classes? Share this episode with them and help spread the love. Thanks so much for listening in today, and until next time, happy teaching!